You're listening to Force Fed Digital. BXU Heard. What's good? It's your boy Kingsbridge Rich, and this is the My Bronx Story Podcast. This is a different type of podcast, so please bear with me because it touches my heart. Um, a lot of my content revolves around the Bronx, but more specifically, the Kingsbridge area, and very much more specifically, Kingsbridge and Morris. When you take to my socials, you see a lot of content videos from the 90s, and I depict the raw and rugged and the gritty of that block. A block of which I've participated as well to a degree, which through this podcast you get to see, through my social medias you get to see. I talk about it. I don't shy away from it. But unfortunately, there's been some news coverage about an event that occurred on that specific block. And so today we're going to talk about it. We're facing a crisis, and today's title is The Game Has Changed. I mean, I'm usually recording on a Friday night, hype, pumped up on edge. I might have a few drinks in my system. I might puff something, but y'all got me on a Sunday mixing coffee and Hennessy. And it might sound a little funny, but this is no laughing matter. Like in my heart, there's so much pain because this is a community that I've seen transform over the last 30 years. And it's just terrible because now we got kids dying. I'm talking about babies. I'm talking about in a daycare. And so this podcast, we're going to kind of highlight a little bit of that world. And I want to talk a little bit about my experience, because I too was a kid that was in a house brought up with drugs. More than that, a family involved in drugs. And I got to watch that and witness that. A different type of drug, albeit, but drugs is drugs and kids are kids. And these are our future. And so I know the pain that I experienced. I know how I was raised. I know the danger that was upon my life. And so I can relate to a degree because that kid could have been me and those kids could have been me. And in many ways, those kids were me because we come from a community that's just plagued with drugs, plagued with crime. And when you consider the density of this borough, the Bronx, and us being stacked upon each other on floors, it's just tough because you get the sense of like not being able to escape it. So this... um. This is pretty emotional, and as we speak, I am pouring Hennessy into a coffee, because it's that kind of day. Salud. The game has changed. Welcome to another eye-opening episode of the My Bronx Story podcast, and me, I'm your host, Kingsbridge Rich. Today, we're going to dive deep into the gritty world of Bronx drug spots and the dangerous path that led me into the world of cocaine and crack on Kingsbridge. Um, but to do so, I'm going to take you on a little bit of journey. And um, some of it I touched on previous episodes, but I'll highlight a little bit of that. But I want to kind of give you a progression of events and recollections and take you through it because I've seen some things. But before we begin, a word of caution. The content discussed today can be disturbing, but it is meant for educational purposes only. I want to say that if you, someone you know, is struggling with substance abuse, please seek help. Please reach out to somebody. We're at a time that resources are at our disposal. We see posters when we go through the city, all in our face. There's programs. Hell, like I just said, we're all on top of each other. So it shouldn't be a foreign concept 
of seeking help or finding where to get help. You're just a few ask away. And if not, and you're hearing this, hey, reach out to me. I'll do the work because I think that's the way this got to go. I think we have to be able to lift each other up and not just do encouragements, help, accountability. So this episode, I kind of want to dive into that and keep my composure because as I talk to you now, I'm, I have tears welled up in my eyes because I have, I have, I mean, maybe if I screamed, I wouldn't drop a tear because I'm just that angry. And there's many more people who are just as angry. And it takes this kind of discontentness to just affect change and take action. So choose what you do with that anger. Choose what you do with that passion. But hold somebody accountable. That's what I'm saying. If you're not already following me on my social medias, guys, you can find me on IG Kingsbridge Rich, uh, Kingsbridge underscore Rich. Uh, you can follow me on the My Bronx Story IG page. You can follow me um, through my link tree. And through there, you're going to catch all my socials. 1985, Brooklyn. My parents get locked up at an early age. Um, me, rather. I'm at an early age. Five years old. I delve into that story in my uh, previous episode. And at the time of this recording, um, there's recent events that's occurred that's taken national news about the fentanyl crisis. But for me, my journey started in 1985 in Brooklyn. Uh, I talk about how it took the arrest of my parents who sold cocaine out of the apartment and, um, and around in the neighborhood. And I talk about how that impacted us and how that experience took me from house to house for a little while and everything that occurred from there as a kid. You can only imagine with that arrest, it touched me. You know, I got to witness that. I got to witness the shuffle as a kid going through poverty because when you get arrested and you have a record, it's not easy to get a job. You know, it's hard. I had to watch my mother hide her conviction. I had to watch my father stealing from jobs to make a little extra. But that was the consequence of them selling drugs. I mean, for me, it wasn't an overdose. For me, it wasn't access to these drugs. And it was a different type of drugs. But I was still a, a, a kid. And, and it took so long. for It took me into adulthood to recover from that. And it was terrible. But I talk about that in a previous podcast. And please check that out so you can get the full story. But it didn't stop there. You know, fast forward, um, that was the catalyst that took us from Brooklyn to the Bronx, as I shared in a previous episode. And we were there for a bit, struggling financially, struggling through poverty, watching crack plague the community of Highbridge. And what took us from Highbridge to Kingsbridge was the fact that I had an uncle that also got arrested. And his situation was a little different because, of course, I wasn't living with him. But we ended up in his apartment when he got arrested just to hold on to it until it was let go and we were evicted. And that was what took us to the Kingsbridge area. And with my uncle, he was gigging with Salcedos. And these Salcedos was taking kilos of cocaine and they were stuffing it inside of keyboards. And so gigging is pretty much, you know, my, my uncle, he had gigs and stuff. And what he did was he, um, he pretty much had an in. So whenever there were concerts, he'd go to all these performances and help them set up. And the way Latin music works, you know, there's tons of instruments. They get everybody visas. And I share this because my family has always been super vivid. So the benefit I have with having this podcast is that I'm like 10, 11, 12, 8 years old, being fully conscious of these conversations happening around the house 
who's getting arrested, you know, what they're facing. You know, people weren't speaking behind our backs. As kids, we were just, we're on the couch and we're hearing a telephone call occur behind us with all the vivid details. We were super exposed to things. And so what we have learned about my uncle, and even before he got arrested, we'd stood over his house every so often, which was supposed to be for relief from my mom and from my environment because my uncle had it together. He worked with jewelry. He was intelligent. He still is intelligent because he's not in jail anymore. But it was a sense of relief for the boys. The boys got to go over Theo's house. The boys got to live a little bit. The boys got to go to movies and hang out with him. And it was dope. And it was cool. You come over, you give your bendiciones, you know, your hugs, feel the little stubble upon his cheek poke you, and that embrace, smell the smell of Theo's cologne. He's off dip, taking you out. He's always, it's, it's, it's such a contrast from where you're coming from home where you can't really ask for things when you're out. And now you're with Theo and you can ask for things. But there were things that were happening in that house too. And although he didn't have an operation happening there, there's the sloppiness that comes with drugs that you just can't contain because at some point in your quest for money, at some point in your quest to earn, you get sloppy because things move fast. That's what happens with fast money. With fast money, you just start getting sloppy. You can't, you can't plan for it. It moves so fast. I remember a time, and so a little bit more about the gigging world. I want to get back to that because with the gigging world, again, you have instruments, Right. Not like now that we have a lot of music that's just, you know, you go into a studio and you have a bunch of machinery, you know, and a lot of the front. What would happen, I've learned, was that they do performances. My uncle was going to Nicaragua. He had pictures with Roberto Duran boxers. Uh, he had boxing gloves in the house. I punched my brother in the stomach with the glove that Roberto Duran fought with. <laughs> it was a blue boxing glove. My, my, my uncle had all kind of things, brass bed, $500 chess set. And, um, you know, we knew the deal. We knew what time it was because my mom never shied away from these details. I watched my father get locked up with my mother. So with my uncle and from what I've learned about the gigging scene, they were going all over the world. And what they would do is that they'll get visas for 20, 30 people, fly out. And out there, there's wild stories, which <clears throat> I'll cover a little more on other episodes just to break that down. But so that you can get a sense of how it went down. They were stuffing boxes, and, and they were getting a, a, away with it. And, and I, I, I can't tell you exactly which, and I choose not to say which salseros, but these are major salseros in the 80s and early 90s. And this is just the way they got down. But all this to say is that with the sloppiness and the experience I had, being in my uncle's house, there was this one time that my uncle had asked my brother and I to throw out a suitcase. Us knowing what time it is, I mean, how many movies have you seen where you see the typical suitcase, you know, handbag, duffel bag? These are kind of things that I would see in my own house tucked away in the closet. So we oftentimes forget that kids know and see things. And so for my brother and I, our mission was to take this suitcase and throw it four buildings down. We were lazy. We wanted to go to the store and get some sweets. So instead, we went downstairs into the same building, and we threw the suitcase out. We come upstairs, my uncle's wilding, because he asked, hey, where did you throw it out? Oh, you know, we just threw it downstairs. Because to us, it didn't make sense that we had to go four buildings down. So you see how the sloppiness can affect things? Because in my mind, I'm not reconciling 
the assignment to anything. I'm not, I don't, I don't have context. I'm a kid. My mission is the store. So you understand, like, I'm not in your head to know that you're trying to evade and you're being elusive. You know, I, I, I'm not in your head to understand the plan that you got to be safe, that I got to kind of help you out. I'm just throwing garbage out. But sure enough, my uncle was super pissed and he storms out the door, most likely to get that suitcase himself and take that consequence. And it's crazy how to this day, he kind of don't really talk about that. And in my world of politics, he used to ask me to try to get him pardons as an adult. But this is the kind of behavior that's uncalled for and that we have to hold these adults accountable for. And this is why our, 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 our communities are plagued. And I speak about that from experience because my situation could have been worse. We're talking about cocaine residue. Now, with the recent situation of fentanyl, can I just inform y'all that when it comes to fentanyl, the amount that you can fit on the head of a thumbtack is fatal. You can die from that. I want y'all to think about that for a moment. For me, though, it wasn't fatal because I was moving a suitcase from one place to the next. I never looked into it. But this is the way things worked, and this is how sloppy things get. Then on the flip side, as if that's not enough, that's the drug dealing element. I had to watch my mom in and out of after hours. She used to hit pototos on 166 and Woodycrest Avenue. I'd look outside the window to see the daylight rise and then go back to the room to see if my mom's made it there. I had to see two aunts become addicted to crack. I have an aunt that every so often when I drive through the Bronx, random areas of the Bronx, I might see her and I stop and sometimes I don't. But the times I do stop, hey, how you doing? And the conversation just, it, it's almost like talking to somebody with a bug on their face and you don't want to tell them something. Because it's the kid in me respecting the adult in you. And it's kind of hard to reconcile that in your head too. This is painful, y'all. Like this, 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 the way it impacts us it's just, it's raw. And again, I'm, I'm probably talking a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm a fast talk. I'm probably talking a little more small because I literally at this point have tears in my eyes that haven't dropped. But this is the experience, being in a family, being in our communities, because it doesn't have to be your family. It's your neighbors. All these things have so much spillover. And then we're now looking at the fact that we have kids that die. And this is not new to us. This is, um, this is something that's been going on for quite a while. But with, recent, with, with this recent event here, <clears throat> it's something that I'm trying to highlight because I talk a lot about Kingsbridge and how can I be on the fence and not call it out? You get nowhere being on the fence, being neutral. You got to say something. So I had addiction in my family. I had the cocaine addiction in my family. I watched my mom. My mom used to sniff right behind me on the couch. You'd hear it. You know what it is to watch The Simpsons and to know what's happening behind you? Your senses are enjoying what's in front of you and despising what's behind you? You know what it is to have your games stolen, video games stolen because of this addiction? I, I bet these kids, would, would, would if they had a choice right now, they'd rather that. Because this is to show you that this is a downward spiral. And whoever's at the bottom of that spiral will wish to be at the top of the spiral. Because even the pain that I'm describing to you, as much as this hurt me and impacted my family, it didn't lead to my death because I'm still here talking to you. And this is why it's so important. Now, as a kid, with all that drug dealing and wheeling, trips to Jamaica, the Dominican Republic, houses, there's pictures of, of 
bags of money over over my naked body as a, as a one year old boy. You know, tons of tons of experiences that I didn't get to experience in that light because I was too young to remember Jamaica. I was too young to remember all the things that the money bought. I I, I know these things in pictures and videos because that's what I'm about. I'm AKA the cameraman. I'm AKA the footage man. You know, and and it's dope when I get to put these clips out and you guys enjoy it. But behind all that was that lifestyle. Having a cousin that would have died on a plane crash that went down, that was possibly done intentionally by Colombians because of drugs. This was the world as a kid that I lived in. But by the time my eyes opened up, six years old, I was watching my parents thrown to the floor, locked up, and we were scooted away to the neighbor's house. And that's how we made it to the Bronx where more of the same has happened. But as a kid, none of my recollections were luxurious. In fact, it was at this point now that the poverty kicked in and we were much worse off than just your average family. But what is the average family in the Bronx? At best, there'd be a top drawer with paraphernalia. You got the foil, foil packet, cocaine inside. You know the top drawer. You know the top drawer. Everybody who, if, if, if right now you got a visual, then you, you, your family got, got down. If you remember the McDonald's coffee stirrer, the little shovel, the scooper, you understand? This is how we grew up. And as a kid, that, I mean, at, at very best, that was pretty much what, what was safe, I guess. You're just kind of witnessing it. Not this thing where kids are dying because of exposure, where we're commingling drugs in daycares. My mom cleaned herself up in 1993. She was pregnant. She's pregnant of my little sister. And I didn't have any more experiences with cocaine until I moved to Kingsbridge and Morris. And again, I don't glorify my time and how I got swooped up into it. I did have a good time hanging out with friends. I witnessed things. In fact, I got put on to crack and cocaine on that block in a way where I became acquainted to a dude that had just came home from jail. I didn't know him. And innocent me was just having a good time on the block, playing. And here comes a dude about two years older than me, strolling through the block, paper bag in hand. He's looking left and right, and I'm seeing the face upon people, waving at him, calling out his name, giving him that. I didn't know him at the time, but shortly after that, I knew him because he made a lot of noise on the block. He was a violent person. It's cool to whoever he was cool with, but he took over half the block immediately. We had plenty of drugs on the block, but we didn't have fentanyl back then. We didn't have dope on that block back then. The block consisted of stick-up kids, crack, cocaine, and prostitution. And here he went, setting up shop, a crack spot. This is where I learned the ins and outs of crack. And I'd see him pull up, and he went on from having one vehicle to the next. Then I get a motorcycle, he gets a motorcycle. His motorcycle is insured under my name. I'm in and out the crib, I'm with the family, because I'm still a cool dude, but now I'm put on to this world in that light. And now I'm side by side with a dude that's bringing packages in, and I'm watching the workers, and the workers are who? My peers. The workers are the ones that I was breakdancing on the street with. We were running around tag bagging and doing graffiti. But I was from that block. And me being me, humble dude, I never sold crack for the dude. I was always with him. Well, not always, but I was often with him because I was often on the block. And when he pulled up, I run in the building and I learned how it got down. And I'm here, you know, and just to give you an idea, because I think 
I want you to know how a, drug, a crack operate. I'm going to give you the basis of crack on the block. And it's crazy because when I was cameraman at one point, I wanted to make a documentary on how to cook crack and all of that stuff. But I want, so, you know, we're talking about fentanyl and drugs and the block. And I want to kind of break down how that works because in the 90s, what it was is you have shifts, you know, you have a crack spot. These crackheads are coming to you. You're not on the move going out serving fiends. And that came a little later when people was really more going uh, mobile in that area. But you got a pack of 13. So you, you're selling crack packs pretty much. Three of them is PC. That's yours. Ten go back. So those are dimes. You got 13 dimes. Three are yours. Ten are his. You got a manager. You got shifts. Sometimes you got a lookout. Sometimes the flow is so hard you get in G-packs. And a G-pack is pretty much a, a thousand pack or whatever. A G, a thousand. And there's nights that are really like wild. You know, on a crack spot, you're chilling. Like, you know, you might be a person that's just walking through the block, not knowing all the ins and outs. But behind those doors, you know, there's a, there's a stash somewhere. There's a mailbox that's broken. There's a, there's a little nook in an alley. There's, there's, there's a, a hammer on top of a, a tire of a car that's parked. You know what I mean? You got your little, set, you know, your little setup. You know, these, these are the things that's in arm's reach. You know, you, you, you start knowing who the fiends are. And there's a lot of violence that happens too. The enforcement that happens when somebody comes short on funds. You understand? I got to see crackheads at the beginning of their journey with crack and see them decay over time. I got to see some crackheads leave and come back after rehab. And my friends stuff crack in their mouth to try to get them back on. You know, put it in their pocket to get them back into it. It's a gritty scene. And so, again, I don't glorify none of that. You know, I talk about crack and all that and, and you know, those money have, but it's, it's a whole different tone when it comes to me. So on a crack spot, you see a lot of violence, too. You know, you, 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 you got to protect that block as well because people always want to find they come up. You have turnover as well. And such was the case with Duke because when Duke was locked up, whoever was in place there was doing their thing. And I was there to watch them scrap. I was there to watch the tensions and the turnover. I was around to see when the feds shut the whole block down. You understand? Like, I witnessed this. And although I wasn't living there anymore at a certain point, I've witnessed this block go through all these different changes. And now, when I go back to the block, we see fentanyl everywhere. Fetty. They're using fentanyl in all types of drugs, guys. We, we, we're hearing about fentanyl and we see how powerful it is. We're seeing the news talk about it. We're hearing that health experts cover fentanyl. We know it's different from crack. We know it's different from coke. But how different is it if it's being mixed into the same drugs that are being supplied there? Because at this point, you can't be for certain that the ecstasy pill that you're buying doesn't have fentanyl in it. You can't be for sure that the weed that you're buying doesn't have fentanyl in it. In fact, back in the days, and this is again, the woke rich as a kid, there was this time where there was an overdose that had occurred. And I know this because I hear the older people in the house talking about it, but tango and cash was the word. And so, oh, tango and cash. Yeah, it was tango and cash. Um, that was a bad batch of heroin, guys. And here's the crazy thing about that. Right. There was a, a big overdose that had occurred in the Bronx in the early, early 90s. And, you know, again, like I said, there's things that I heard because of my family and, and, and I was privy to. But what's crazy about it, right, because heroin is an opioid. It's uh, strong in itself 
and it requires a certain type of handling. So like for you to cut it, like you have to cut it in a way to not kill people. And in this case, in, in, in the early 90s with the Tango and Cash, it was heroin that was cut, but it was too potent that so many people died. And the way they cut it, which is pretty much stretching it, cut it stretch, like with cocaine, you stretch it with lidocaine. Um, with heroin, you know, when they, they cut it actually with fentanyl back then. And that's what got people. And here's the crazy part about that, right? We had, we had some deaths that occurred. And about, there, there was like a hundred or hundreds of people who had overdosed that weekend. So there's police with bullhorns circling the Bronx talking about, if you have packages of Tango and Cash, throw it out. And then the people who had Tango and Cash was changing the packet names and stuff. So it's not associated because there was a big uh, crackdown. And in this crackdown, they're here looking and stuff to see through all these blocks. You know, they're trying to follow it where it's going. This thing went as far as Connecticut. This thing went as far as New Jersey. This thing was right there in the 138s, you know, um, Brook Ave area, Wild Cowboy area and stuff because that was always popping with the dope and the crack. They, they always have, That was always lit, that area, whatever. But it spread out. And here's the crazy thing about heroin. Here's the crazy thing about opioids. When the fiend saw the people was dropping... You know what the question was? Yo, where can I find it? You would think that because people are dying, they'll stay away from it. But nah, on the contrary, because it was potent, they figured that they can cut it a little further. Just enough to keep them high as a kite, but not dead. Fentanyl. Again, the thumbtack example. A grain on top of a thumbtack, fatal. This daycare had a kilo of fentanyl. A kilo press. Think about that for a moment as I take a sip of my coffee. Because Kingsbridge is out there looking like a thriller video now. Looks like there's zombies out there. I'm watching friends. I got friends from pictures and videos that were doing their thing. Fly pretty boy dudes. Cool ass dudes. The ambulance is coming back to pick them up over overdoses. This is the reality of drugs, guys. You go from a hustler to a customer. And some make it. Some got bullet holes still in their body over it. It's not something to celebrate, guys. This is really not the way. And I'm talking lifestyle, more so that kids are affected. I want to give you a few stats about fentanyl. 50 times more potent than heroin. I just told you about Tango and Cash. Fentanyl's 50 times, 50. Think about that. And here's the problem I have with that too, right? Because I have to go back to that daycare because this episode is kind of revolving around that. Every person that got their weight up in drugs, in heroin, knows how hard it is to package it. Every person who got their weight up in fentanyl knows this. You can't tell me these people in there didn't know what the hell they was doing. In order to package it, you have to consider risk and you have to have safety measures. This is not cooking crack over a Pyrex and having the windows open for ventilation. This is way more complex than that. And even then, in a cook-up house, you might have a mask. Hell, at the nail salon, they're doing your nails wearing a mask. This is fentanyl, guys. This is a daycare, guys. Nino Divino was the daycare on Kingsbridge and Morris, where this crackdown had occurred. At the time of this recording, these are the details so far that we know. They found two kilo presses in the crib. Kilo presses. Let me stop there. If they found one kilo, but they had a press, you think they bought that kilo press for just one kilo? This is an operation. Two kilo presses. I got one car. I'm not at the point of needing two cars yet. At what point do you need two kilo presses? 
Put that into perspective when you think about how much drugs might have run through that daycare. One kilo was found over the daycare mats. Let me run it back real quick. A grain, a couple of grains, what could fit on the top of a needle, a thumbtack. Yet, there's play mats. They're not garbage. They're in the closet with a kilo of fentanyl over it. Sloppy. They found a trap door in the play area on the floor. A trap floor opened up to reveal larger quantities of drugs. There was video evidence of the husband of the owner, Jedin, with bags in his hand. Two kilo presses would suggest to me that there was a lot of kilos that made it out that house. They might have forgot that one that was in the closet. That was that one that didn't get away. That took him down. 20,000 text messages deleted between the owner who claimed, according to her, right? And I guess I got, I don't know if legally I got to say allegedly. So the alleged 20,000 text messages, well, no, 20 text messages were deleted and recovered. And by the way, if you think that WhatsApp is fully encrypted to the point that you're not going to do a crime, forget about it. Because they didn't have to say WhatsApp for me to know because I know how people get busy with WhatsApp. But 20,000 text messages before the before she even interacted with the police. I don't got enough time to erase five text messages. 20,000 suggest to me that you know exactly where to go to erase and you're going to tell me that you're not guilty because the way that the story is being covered, what they're claiming is that she had no clue what was going on, that a relative of her husband rented a room and was in charge of that. But how do we explain the trap door in the play area? You know that term sweeping under the rug? What happened when you swept under the rung? You just missed the groove. You just missed the lines that cut across the floor that, that would reveal to that. You was never curious to see. You can't tell me she ain't know what she was doing. There's no way. Now, let me just talk about how crumb Duke is, whoever Duke is, her husband. My man, you let a woman go. First of all, if you got that much work going on, how you don't have your own apartment, a dedicated apartment, house, dealing with that? Let alone, there were thousands of dollars behind on rent. Think about that as I take a sip of my coffee with Henny in it. And now dude is nowhere to be found. He skated off with some bags of who knows how much of what was in there. You gonna put your woman in that position? Gray is just like a lot of baby moms that we know. That co-sign for their baby daddies on that whip that he want to pull out because he got the cash behind it. And now you in too deep because he's paying your rent. He set you up in your daycare or whatever. And this is not the official story. I'm just giving you a scenario because this is how it goes. We're going through this problem because we enable. We're going through this problem externally because these drugs are coming into our country. And a thousand other reasons. But on a local level, Duke represents every baby father that put a gun on your lap when the car got checked. And I say that from experience because that happened with one of my mans. Corny. Cops pulled the car over. Duke threw it on Shorty. Shorty did a year for him. These is the guys that we enabling. And I'm not saying all this to say that she didn't have a part in it. That she wasn't conscious. But let alone, as a man, he probably introduced it to her in the first place. I'm sure she wasn't. And we've heard of Queen Pins, Grisela and all that. Griseida. But... I'm not thinking that that's the way this popped off. The game is over, and it's time to pull the plug. This should not be the case, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, man, I got to say, 
what I just laid out here, man, is just plain despicable. Because we're talking about a story right from Kingsbridge, the Bronx. And at this moment, as this area, my area, which I love to speak about so much, is taking national media coverage. This is a place where we've seen our share of struggles, yeah, but this one is on a whole different level. I share with you guys my story and how I've witnessed the things I did, but I'm here to share it. I ain't die. Like these kid, like this kid did, like kids across this country are doing with this drug. Let me break it down for you. What we're talking about is Gray Mendez, Hotenic Carlisto Acevedo, and this operation that they had right under the noses of innocent children. You know, the future of our neighborhood, our community. At what point did they give a damn? At what point you think it went into their head that these kids could be somebody in the future? At what point you think they had any regard for the parents that they was collecting their funds from? Total disregard. One-year-old Nicholas Dominci goes to this daycare a week prior and dies. A week prior, there was inspections, and they passed inspections. This daycare has only been in operation months. Gone because they had a hidden stash of fentanyl right where these kids were supposed to be safe and sound. A freaking daycare. Can you believe that? Fentanyl hitting over playmats. Playmats! Kilo presses. Heartless individuals, y'all. These babies didn't even know they was playing on this stuff. Picture the delight of these kids, the innocence of these kids playing while they're in the, the belly of the beast. No idea. Picture for a second the, you know the shock that you get when you think you're having an anxiety attack. You know the shock that you feel when you hear or you feel something off with your body. Can you imagine what these kids was experiencing when their body started to convulge? That feeling of your, your life kind of escaping you? And for one, his life really escaped him? Because there was still another three that was exposed and had to get hit with the Narcon to be revived. We're, we're thankful and we're glad that they're alive. But they still had that experience. Their families still have to live with that fear. I'm going to talk to you as a father, y'all. If I went through whatever trouble I went through and, 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 and efforts that I went to to get my kids linked up with a daycare, then this happened. First of all, to even have myself linked up to a daycare means that I need it. I might have to be at work. I might, you know, have to let go of some of my fears of entrusting my kids with somebody. What, what you think about the trauma for these parents now? How do you survive? Not only the emotions... I'm talking about the strategics of living. Everything is this damn juggle, this damn rat race when we're trying to earn money. We're in such a tough economy right now. We're trying to make it. And then you want to compound that problem with the fact that now you can't trust? It's stupid. And it doesn't even stop there. The audacity. A distribution center right in the daycare in the Bronx. I take a moment real quick to condemn those ashens because... Well, because the obvious, it's terrible what occurred, guys. But, bruh, these ain't just drug dealers. These is monsters, plain and simple. They ain't got no regard for human life, especially the lives of innocent children. You know what comes to mind? I got two daughters. I've had my kids in daycares in the hood. And you know what? At this point, I'm going to say shout-outs to all those daycares in the hood that are doing their thing, that are probably going to get backlash, who's probably going to have to go to so much more scrutiny, people who are trying to make jobs out of their spaces to try to make ends meet and get by, and now you fucking their money up? You know what I mean? There's some people who probably were on the brink of getting their stuff together to do this, and now it's probably going to be harder for them, rightfully so, because we got to keep kids safe. You understand, like, these complications is like the dude that messes up dress down day. 
because they're out of pocket with theirs and they don't understand, like, yo, we pushing it. Bronx District Attorney Darcel Clark said it best. <clears throat> I may have not given birth to them. I may not have been parents who sent them to that daycare center. But every single person in this country feels what they feel, that they entrusted daycare centers to take care of their children. And she's right, because we all feel the pain, that outrage, that betrayal. Bronx, Kingsbridge, and anybody who is imp impacted by this kind of behavior, actions, activity. Let's come together and make sense these heartless criminals. Let's make sure these heartless criminals face these consequences that they deserve. Our children, our future, depend on it. That could have been the next city council person. That could have been that next ice spices from the hood. You could have just took out a president. Like, we say it in a very cliche way, but nah, Kingsbridge is some. There's a lot that came out of the bridge, that area. Ralph Lauren, Tyson Beckford's family lived there, Tim on Creston, Kid Capri, and I could keep going. That's why I talk about Kingsbridge so much. Y'all just took one of our own, and if you can't take ownership and call that kid one of our own, then do it. That's our family. I'm not here to pick and choose sides, man. We all family, and we're hurting. And sometimes that's what family does too, we enable. The grandparent, the mother, the father that led to it, not the father, because statistically, let's, let's talk about it, but when we enable that, that kid to do their dirt and have a stash in our cribs and we don't put our foot down and put them out for whatever reason, that's enabling. Again, like I said, co-signing the vehicles for dude because he's all cash and no credit. Could have been the next city council member I know a city council member that used to bang in the hood and made it. These kids didn't even get a chance to change their life. They didn't even get a chance to start their life. This is a very emotional episode for me. Like I shared, it, it strikes home in many ways and could have been my kids. It really could have been my kids. And if you're from the hood, it could have been your kids. You know how many times in a pinch I have to bring my kids to somebody's house to take care of them real quick so I can get to work? That's, that's what it's like. You know how much paperwork is involved with getting your kids set up to go into a daycare? And this is beyond a conversation about daycares. This is about a crisis that's hitting us hard and we got to damn, we have to just, we have to do better. So please at this time, as my community is grieving, extend your support, man. You see the stories, send your love on the threads if you can. Keep it in your heart, keep a watchful eye if you're listening to this and you've ever even considered making ends meet and, 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 and going down that route, please take to heart the consequences of these actions, man. You might not kill a kid, but you might go to jail and risk your whole family. Or your kids might be like me, going through life with all these twists and turns, not being sure of himself, and finally finding his footing as an adult. There's so many victims in this story, and these stories continue. And I continue sharing these stories because this is my Bronx story.